And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here, as always, with the buff studly Dr. Bear Paul Lando. <laughs> we were just looking at some old photos of him from back in the day. We're here with Matt Presti. Uh, coming to you live and direct, as always, from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom reigns supreme here on the wild, wonderful azure waters of the Smith River. Uh, they are high and flowing beautifully today as the snow has melted mm -hmm. Man, I don't know if I've ever witnessed as much snow ever living here for the last six, seven years as we have had this winter. Uh, it's been pretty phenomenal, and the mountains are still full of snow. So this has been quite a winter, uh, to yeah. say the least, if Dr. You Bear. If you didn't know any better, you'd swear somebody was tampering with the atmosphere up there. <laughs> That or uh, that in com combination with this uh, thing called the Grand Solar Minimum, which we've done multiple shows on. So I think, yeah, we're seeing the effects of lots of different variables. Uh, and uh, I think global warming causes massive snow uh, flurries as well. Indeed. Indeed. Ask, ask our homegirl Greta. I think she's she's uh, illumined us all about that. Uh yeah, it's uh, been quite a winter. I'm looking forward to spring, not going to lie, but also looking forward to getting a little more snowboarding in. So um, been a fantastic winter, though. We've been enjoying ourselves and working on the new the new platform uh, steadily. It's very close to launching. It's been quite an ordeal and an undertaking, but we're very excited to get off Patreon and onto Alpha Vedic uh, completely as our private platform will be launching soon. Uh, however, if you do want to support us right now, Patreon's still cranking at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. You can also find out more about us uh, at alphavedic.com. That's just the spot to go, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. You can see all of our beautiful products that are handcrafted and, um, and created on the farm there where, where Bear is coming to you live right now. Uh, with the beautiful Shannon cranking away every day and uh, getting you, getting that product out as fast as we can. There have been delays due to all the snow and icy roads. Roads. So thank you guys for your patience there. If, uh, products have been delayed us a little bit. We do our best. Uh, today we've got Matt Presti on. Bear, any uh, updates? Oh, real quick on Music and Sky. We're in week two of the pre of the early bird tickets. We're about two thirds sold already. Bear. Bear will be our keynote speaker this year, August eighteenth to the twenty first. He will be doing a keynote talk around the grand fire Saturday night. That I cannot wait for. It'll be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're already two thirds sold out on pre on early bird tickets, which you can access if you're a member of the AV co-op through Patreon or through the private platform on musicandsky.com. So go check that out. Uh, anything on your end, Bear, before we bring Matt in? No, let's just uh, get into it. Uh, Matt's so awesome to have you here today. And, uh, you know, we haven't met up physically, but, you know, I've, well, as I've mentioned before, I've followed your work uh, for a long time. Uh, you also were my introduction to Walter Russell, so I'm eternally grateful for that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I just always felt like you're a kindred spirit from day one. So whenever we get together, it's like uh, talking with old friends. So thanks for being here. It's an honor to join both of you. Thank you, Dr. Bear and Mike. Pleasure. Uh our pleasure. And let me do the official intro here. Um, on this episode, return guests Matt Presti and the AlphaCast crew will further dissect the nature of our reality from the perspective of luminary Walter Russell, the most famous man you've probably never heard of. Well, you know, 
I think a lot of Alphabetic <laughs> crew has heard of it, heard of him by now. Uh, Matt's brilliant documentary, Dispelling Dimensional Madness, makes the strong case that reality is not a dimension. Rather, it has dimension. The treatise was created to take down the quote-unquote belief in higher dimensions. The fraud of the age fueled by Gnosticism, Mythmatics, New Age Scientism, and unthinking adherence to this cult of fiction are summarily deposed in this most enlightening presentation. Quote, I love this quote, by the way. You cannot think how to know. You cannot act how to think. But you can know how to think and act by Matt Presti. Matt Presti is a renowned <laughs> meta scientist, musician, patriot, philosopher, poet, practitioner of universal law, natural science, and living philosophy, audio and video producer, broadcaster, and the host of the Exploration of Consciousness, which he's redoing now as a podcast. Uh, very excited that he's jumped back into the podcasting game. Uh, he's also the former director of operations and president of the University of Science and Philosophy, Philosophy, formerly uh, the Walter Russell Foundation. Uh, he was doing that January 1st, 2015 through August 10th, 2021. Uh, and he's actually, as we'll find out currently, I believe there right now. Uh, currently, he's the CEO of Universal Power LC. He's a volunteer firefighter on Montauk, uh, the Montauk Rural Fire Department in Dent County, Missouri, and Rockfish Valley Volunteer Fire Department in Nelson County, Virginia. Walter Russell put the creator back into creation. So strap in as we challenge the foundational gatekeeper mythology and further expose the religious zealotry now operating under the guise of science. Bear, that was great. Take it away. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Matt, just uh, again, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, we entertain a lot of different guests and different perspectives on this uh, platform just because we feel like that's our job. Uh, you know, we really don't take sides or um, or pretend to know anything. And I'll be the first one to um, to admit that I really don't know exactly how this universe works. Uh, I don't know exactly what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Um, you know, I'm just kind of practical in that I fix things, I make things, I grow things. And uh, I really love to dabble, dabble on all sorts of information and philosophy. And uh, over the years, I think I've seen just about everything in every, uh, you know, perspective. Um, but, you know, the thing with Walter Russell is it just seems to me very grounded and very logical. And I can also take his body work. And it seems to, uh, uh, you know, for my mind, explain a lot of the things I used to think I knew through the practice of uh, alchemy and my chemistry work and, you know, uh, work in the healing arts. And so that's why when I was first exposed to Walter, um, you know, it just made sense. And it seemed to be something on a practical level that was actually useful, whereas a lot of my past metaphysical studies, eh, not so much, you know, interesting, uh, you know, provocative uh, for sure. Uh, but, you know, I always uh, keep coming back to Walter as my foundational 
and um and uh you know not trying to make anybody wrong or right but that's just uh you know why we talk a lot about walter russell on our platform and uh your last uh documentary you know we talked about it a little bit last time the three of us were on another show together and uh i wanted to get a little bit more into that you know which was on dimensions and the nature of our reality we've had a whole string of guests lately that you know we're all entertaining different ideas of what the nature of reality is and uh i think you just really did a good summation and uh we'll, we'll start and then we'll let you take over here sure. um with a quote which are dimensions are characteristics of reality and not reality itself so maybe we can start off by dissecting this uh word we use pretty loosely these days in all sorts of circles uh dimensions and and maybe if you could start us off and tell us what that means to you and maybe what it would mean to someone like walter russell well sure uh, i'll start with the russell perspective first um as most russell students will know russell looked at the universe as being one substance and that is light and from light all else unfolds so all dimension all dimensionality and sound is yet another dimension which he calls tone in the universal one but is not a causal factor it is a effect of cause which is light itself and that light has basically 18 characteristics that he listed in the universal one as being dimensional characteristics of the one substance now that one substance appears to us as 92 elements and that elemental progression is actually a lifespan of one element which is carbon so living carbon charging carbon is zero basically hydrogen up to carbon in his spiral chart and then beyond carbon is the dying half of the carbon element which is carbon to plutonium and plutonium is one of the rarest occurring elements in all of nature it's extremely difficult to find uh, because it's in such an unwound state returning back to stillness you could say it's like trying to find sound at the end of the life of a of the plucking of a guitar string half of that life of the guitar string once it's plucked is building to a crescendo and then it passes beyond its ability to maintain that note and begins to die and return back to stillness so that's the lifetime of a single note on a guitar string or a chord on a piano or any other instrument or a note on a trumpet the lifespan literally of that note is a human breath the breathing in and the exhalation and uh, many bodies do inhalations and exhalations billions and trillions of times in a lifetime but we can just take one small sliver of that and understand how for instance a note of sound should last and have a lifetime of its own even though it's only a matter of seconds but ultimately all of the elemental chart is from a russell perspective viewed each element is a progression of carbon from zero back to zero so from zero to amplitude of the wave which is maturity which in the lifetime of a human would be around 40 years old so zero to 40 is a charging and 40 back to zero is a discharge where life predominantly holds the advantage from zero to 40 and you reach the neutral point where that breath reverses 
and the discharge is death predominantly holding that discharge in a return to zero. And so basically the whole of light itself and all light cycles, cycles of light, cycles of elements, cycles of carbon, cycles of carbon-based life forms is one that experiences dimensionality in the one universe in which we live. Uh, this science doesn't require dimensions outside of our perception because it knows and purports its use as being a functionality of working with creation as opposed to thinking outside of it, to hoping for something that isn't here. Um, the proof is in the pudding, as, as I say. The, the proof that Russell's science works so well isn't because it's just a science, but because it was written and developed by a man who, as opposed to removing the creator from creation, being an artist himself, he put God back into the center of this science and made it a science of creator and a creating universe as opposed to a created universe, which is what determinism relies upon. So in a creating universe, the creator is able to constantly create and continually create. And basically the focus is on learning to work with the one substance using your two strong arms and hands as creator tools. And you don't need extra dimensions. In fact, one thing I've, I've honed in on recently is the proof that everything happens here, even with people who talk about extra dimensions and even you know this the, the Ikean model of there's radio stations that are floating through our bodies right now that we can't tune into so that's proof of a higher dimension. Well, actually, it's not. It's it's all happening here in this one. The radio frequencies, the TV stations, they're all here. Now, if I had the right tool, which there are EMF meters that can see these radio frequencies and TV frequencies, you would see through the meter registering the EMF that indeed it is all here. So what I like to say now is that everybody that tells you of these extra dimensions or extra places or extracurricular uh, locations, if you will, are doing so from this one. Everything they're talking about is being talked about here in this multiplicity of dimensionality. And so what, what it beckons us to do, the Russell science from a philosophical perspective and a scientific perspective is to learn to utilize your body and your mind in this reality to make the most that it can be. And that's the greatest thing we can do is learn to be creators in the reality that we're in, as opposed to trying to get to somewhere where we're not as a salvatory means of then once we get there, we can become what we had always hoped to be, which is a creative being. It's all right here. It's all here for our asking and it can be ours if we just simply take part. So, uh, yeah, that's a brilliant explanation. And uh, as one who is going through the unraveling phase of life right now, um, so uh, just like the elements in the earth that, uh, you know, and I'll let you explain it a lot better, that are going through these um, jumping through different states of matter, uh, however we want to explain it. Uh, through maybe octaves, we could say tonal fields within octaves, you know, rather than dimensions. 
Um, how about just like the elements? What do we do as uh, mankind when we go through, you know, an entire compression unraveling uh, cycle and then reappear in the reincarnation wheel? So uh, can you kind of put that in perspective as far as how maybe uh, mankind, the elements, uh, everything in existence goes through a similar schematic? Sure. Well, you have a life and death half of the wave of creation in Russell science. So again, to look at carbon, the, the beginning of life of carbon that we can visually see that registers to our senses and the senses of our instruments that we create is hydrogen. Prior to hydrogen, there's not enough vibration for our eyes or our instruments to detect at least to my knowledge. Now, they may have invented some things that can go to a smaller scale, but ultimately in, in, the same in the same vein, if you look at the life of a carbon particle, which is all the, all the elements, right, in the whole spectrum from zero to uh, around the wheel to 360, again, it's, a, it's an expression of the consciousness of the divine which coalesces around the omnipresent light, the cellular structure, uh, the nature of the thing itself and what it is and its purpose, which is the divinity within it is attempting to express itself. And so the lifetime of a man is approximately 80 years where carbon, say a carbon sun, which is what our sun is, is a compressed condition of space into a sphere that has a lifetime of perhaps billions, if not trillions of years. And so all is really consciousness expressing itself and it, their lifetimes are dependent upon that which expresses. So it's not to say that planets couldn't as well have a consciousness, moons, comets, um, suns of their own, right? Might have a consciousness as well. Um, many great thinkers have said that all ideas in the sun, in particular Walter Russell. And so all ideas unfolded from these sweet spots, you could say that earth is in just the right place. So the earth itself is a living being and all living things, at least in the Russell science are born from a parent. And the parent is the star of the planets in this case. And the moons are the children of the planets themselves, which are the sun's grandchildren. So there's no disconnect in this particular approach. But in understanding lifetimes and cycles, basically half of any lifetime is a charging unless that lifetime should be cut short accidentally or through other means. But ultimately a basic lifetime that is uninterrupted is charging half of its life and then discharging. And you can also liken that to the breath as above, so below, as within, so without the great hermetic axiom. And how does a breath tell us about that life and death sequence? Well, we inhale, which charges the body and exhale, which discharges. And where is God in that process? God centers it, the breathing cycle and bounds the breathing cycle. So you can only breathe in so far until you reach God and then you reverse direction and exhale, and then you have to reverse direction again. And that's exactly what Walter Russell teaches 
is the rhythmic balanced interchange or the one law of creation, which all bodies adhere to, even the sun. The sun breathes in over a period of 11 years and it reverses its direction toward exhalation, which science falsely calls a reversal of a magnetic field, which is what you would see in the human body if you could detect the body's magnetic fields. You would also see in every breathing cycle of inhalation to exhalation, a reversal of our own electric field. So that is the very nature of reality itself and the electric universe model is so far the closest to reality that I've discovered. Um, others have come very close. There's, of course, the Sheldrakes and the, the uh, Rudolf Steiners and others, uh, Victor Schaubergers and, and Tesla, of course. Uh, but no one, to my knowledge, that I've discovered yet on this planet has given us a model as detailed and as true to nature as that of Walter Russell, which thoroughly explains the lifetime cycles of all things from suns to man to ants. Um, it's the same for all, and it's really a unifying scientific model, uh, seamless cosmology, you could call it. And uh, in these uh, creation and recreation cycles, there uh, seems to be an electrical recording system so that mm -hmm. elements and humans can pick up right where they left off. Can you uh, maybe speak on that a bit? Yeah, that's what in Walter's charts, he calls it the zero elements or the master tones, which are the inert gases. Uh, those are synonymous with the Akashic record, which we've heard discussed in various other religious approaches and ancient science sciences that have been on this planet for for millennia but the akashic substance the akashic records the inert gases are the closest to the creator in terms of elements but they're they're the zero elements because all the other elements and all other states of motion unfold the projected light through them much like a projector in a, in a movie theater. The light is God, but the, the film would be the inert gases, the record of image. And that image is unfolded onto the white screen of space. And the reason movie theater screens are white is because white is the only color that can reflect all of the color spectrum. That's why Goethe proved when he put all the colors on a wheel in the spectrum and he spun the wheel, it turned white, right? So that tells you that that screen of space is omnipresent, that white conscious light of mind is omnipresent. And that's why all motions in the universe have a reflective state and possibility because they're, they're literally unfolding through that white light by projection and reflecting their motions onto the screen of space, which informs all other motions of their existence, which is why they say light doesn't travel in the Russell science, because it's really everywhere at once, and it's only happening all at the same time in one divine moment, which is endless and ceaseless and forever rhythmically balanced interchange occurs within those motions. So all lights everywhere are informed of all other lights and repeated through each other simultaneously, infinitely. Could you, could you say, Matt, then in the, the uh, Walter Russell model that light in its essence is the ether, whereas 
Nikola, uh, Tesla would say that light essentially was like sound. It was a perturbation of the field of the etheric of the ether field. It didn't travel in waves or it was not a particle. Um, so I'm trying to get a better understanding, I guess, in terms of this all pervasive stillness of light. Is that really the field in and of itself, according to Walter Russell? Yeah, it would differ from ether and that the original ether theories relied on particles. Think of infinitesimally small BBs, for instance. And these, these little BBs would bump into each other to transfer the motions of light. Well, what Walter came along with was a basically an upgrade to the whole ether model. And he he had three octaves of matter that preceded hydrogen, which he calls the, the uh, space gases. And those three octaves are what you see rising up in smoke when you burn something. The reason it's rising up is because that smoke is trying to return to its pressure condition, which is in space. So unlike the flat earth community, which thinks that space is a vacuum because, or at least remonstrates against that idea of it being a vacuum uh, and not existing because NASA calls it a vacuum, they're both wrong, okay? The, NASA's wrong because it's not a vacuum. It actually has three full octaves, 21 elements, fully toned elements inside of it. And that accounts for the motions of space. Now, Russell said all of space, the gases, the planets, everything moves together. You don't move through it, it all moves together. So it's a very different way to, to kind of account for the motion of light, you could say. It's a very hermetic, hermetic concept, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Indeed. And, and I think that's a big part of what he brought to us, the illumined mind being able to understand the concept of of, of divinity, the, the divine mind being white light is, again, if you take the hemispheres of the brain, uh, what what is the dividing fulcrum between the hemispheres? And why did Descartes say that the pineal is the seat of the soul? Because it centers the brain. So whether or not that's the seat of the soul, I think it's partly the, I would say that and this wasn't in the Russell science, but at first they they asserted that consciousness was in the pineal but later changed in atomic suicide to say that the heart is the center of consciousness i would say that the, the heart is the center but the eye of the heart is the pineal and so the two work together in tandem you could say but ultimately when you understand that white light being the whole condition in in jungian psychology he would say that often the reason people have machinations, neuroses, things of that nature, or um, experiences in dreams or states of psychotic snaps or hallucinations, things of that nature, was because some part of their psyche was seeking wholeness. And so like in, in the term of the, the, the example he gave for UFOs, and he tended to, to side that they were more of a mental um, image not necessarily physical things, but the reason is they represent wholeness. So in a sense, there's certain images and things that happen to our psyches collectively as well as individually that are trying to bring us toward that state of wholeness. In other words, toward a state of our own divinity. And, and that's what divinity is, is wholeness. 
again, if Goethe takes all the colors in the spectrum on his pinwheel and he spins it, why does it turn white? That's an interesting thing. I don't think science really has an answer for that. Russell science does because the white is from which all color unfolds and returns to. Centering and bounding the motions of all objects in existence is the undivided. And that's really, that's the trinity. The divided is two, the undivided is one, together they make three. And as opposed to a uh, heavenly father or spirit, a holy ghost, you know, and, uh, and son, it's more mother, father, and then the light centering the two. So the white light is the center fulcrum, the stillness. And yeah, it centers yeah. and bounds all motions within it. And the best interpretation I can give, Mike, if you could just type into any search engine, um, inverted galaxy photo, and you can share an image for your listeners, they'll see that an inverted galaxy will basically turn the black of space white. And now you're seeing literally a selfie of God. That is the field of consciousness that pervades all of the universe. And then you'll see, of course, all the divided motions within it. There you go. So there, if you can imagine consciousness being omnipresent, that's a great visual to begin the process. And so all motions are within the mind of God, centering and bound, centered and bounded by that light. And as they spin, they divide and create the color spectrum. And everything is spinning from our DNA to the, to the largest galaxies. But that tells you of also the hermetic axiom as above, so below. As the galaxy spins, so does our DNA spiral. It's not as separate as we like to believe, but I think around every gravity shaft is motion, which again, Russell redefines gravity as being stillness that extends into a polarity of stillness upon which two poles of gravity control the motions spinning around it. And the way that man, that science can locate God is to find the shaft of gravity that does not move, but which the motion around it does. In the same way that you would notice the fulcrum of a seesaw does not move, even though two children are moving upon it. I'd um, really like to get into the whole gravitation concept a little bit more in depth. Sure. Um, you know, and Walter talks about pressure differentials and things, which make really good sense to me, goes along with your uh, seesaw analogy. But, um, you know, just a couple comments. First, I think if we return to old fashioned empiricism, which I believe was uh, the true definition of science, and if you just look at how things unfold and in um, the biological field, you know, we see embryology, how or embryologically how the body unfolds. And in, in uh, some of my work that started getting into um, concepts from other parts of the world, we talked about the seed atom, which was actually the uh, and I, we use the term atom loosely, of course, here in Walter Russell circles, but we sure. called it the seed atom. And, um, you know, from there, the heart was the first to differentiate embryologically, and then the whole body unfolds from there. So I think if you just sit back and see how a developing human, uh, you know, happens, I, I think there's maybe a good argument that everything centers around the heart. 
And uh, then when you get into the study of the constellations above us, if you buy the theory that maybe they're um, projecting resonance that carries through all of the so-called physical universe, and we see the different constellations that are allegedly responsible for that. And then it starts, you know, with Aries, with the, we'll just talk about that one sign where it's uh, the pineal and the pituitary that create that electrical impulse. And then it, as it goes through the rest of the signs, uh, all the way to Leo, to the heart, you know, it's all about that, um, those electrical messages or informational fields being received by the heart so i think there 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 might be something to that now walter uh you know also uh, talks a little bit about our uh part in the equation which is our perception and how we actually have to teach our perception uh you know what we're actually picking up with our senses so that we can just you know function in this realm period Goethe and uh steiner and those folks uh also I think brought in perception as a part of, like you mentioned, the uh, Gertz's work with colors, and that there's this whole internal process going uh, on simultaneously that's part of the equation. So I think there's uh, maybe just some discussion we could have around that, but maybe let's just jump into uh, gravitation, or if you have any comments of those things first, um, we'll just let you go for it there. Sure. Uh, there's, wow, there's so much you can, you can discuss. Um, you mentioned gravity. Is there is a particular uh, question on gravity you had? You had just started to, to um, not so much a question, but maybe you could help us understand uh, what gravity really means as far as uh, how Walter Russell would explain it, or how you would explain it yourself. Right in the in the series, the Secret of Light series that I did uh, started back in 2011. Um, we defined a lot of these terms, light, gravity, electricity, magnetism, uh, what they mean from the Russell perspective, which they had hoped to do that, but never got around to it. So uh, my ex-co-producer and I, in that series of 19 parts, the very first one was defining a new cosmology. And gravity from the get-go, according to Walter Russell, uh, is not congruent with actual nature. And the reason is because Newton when he explained gravity as an inward pulling force, failed to realize, to ask himself the question, how did the apple get up in the air in the first place against the so-called inward pulling force? So from, from the outset, Walter was remonstrating and deriding these concepts of science, calling themselves laws prematurely, while not being able to understand that there's two a two-way motion universe versus a one-way heat death dying universe that is really a Catholic model. Um, his model takes into account the in-breath of creation, which science has thus far failed to do. Gravity is the great divider. I, I should say that electricity is the great divider of gravity. Gravity is basically locatable in Russell science by motion. So wherever there's motion, there's there's got to be something that's not moving. When you open a door, in order to open that door, something doesn't move, but supplies the energy. And ninety, and you you don't find it by looking at the door. 
Okay, you look at what's not moving. That's why we can't find God, because the scientists are looking in the motion, in the paint on the canvas, trying to find the, the, the artist when it's not a moving thing. The artist of a song is not in the notes of the song. You can, you can take apart Beethoven's Fifth Symphony note by note and never find the man. You could take every drop of paint off of the Mona Lisa and never find Leonardo da Vinci. But you can know in your mind who the creator of it is because they're 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 literally when when he painted that, he's at 90 degrees to that canvas, moving his mind upon it, recording his thoughts in paint drops, as is the notes on the piano. You sit at 90 degrees to the piano and you play the notes. So the mind is the cause of all effects of motion. And that's how gravity can be thought of because it doesn't move. What does the door move on? The door jam. The door jam does not move. What does the door of anything move on? The door of a car or, or an airplane, or it moves on something that doesn't move. And that's really the key to understanding where to locate the creator or, or to locate gravity because gravity and God are one, according to Walter Russell. They control through their poles. God has basically multipolar locations, multiple poles, but there's always two in every body. Every body in motion has two poles, and thus the magnet proves that. You know, there's no monopoles in nature, and that's what kind of, again, shoots some theories of this universe right out of the water. Um, you can divide a magnet you can cut it in half thousands of times and each sliver of that magnet will still have a north and south because that's the nature of duality is to have uh, two poles, basically. So again, gravity is stillness and the gravity shaft is what divides to create the poles, which then control the motions of electric vorticular uh, movement around those poles. And that is, again, wherever there's poles, there's inhalation. And so the equator between those poles is the exhalation. And that's the end of the sphere, which is the equator. And that's where all the heat is given off, just like the equator of the human body is here. Thus, we put the thermometer under the tongue in the center of the body. And, um, you know, that's where the heat's given off. And that that is really the location of exhalation. And... Uh, when you look at mainstream science, their entire model is based on a heat death dying universe of exhalation only, which is what Walter, when he gave his universal one to the world of science and the universities back in 1927, it only took five years before the Vatican basically sent him notice that he is not to reprint the universal one or the Pope would issue a decree against him. And so within five years, the the two-way motion universe, which was beginning to seed in the minds of science and academia, was quickly diverted and intercepted by the Vatican, by Georges Lemaitre, the Jesuit priest, who introduced the one-way heat-death-dying Big Bang model, which basically buried Walter's two-way model universe underneath it. And from then on, the universities instantly latched on to the one-way universe and the two-way universe had gone out of sight, out of notice. And it would not be until uh, sometime in the later 
even though Russell lived to be 92 years old, he always felt that that his work was discarded, that he was crucified by science. Uh, his work, his discoveries of the transuranium elements were all usurped and given to other people, even though he showed the Nobel Prize Committee posthumously, asked for accreditation for his discoveries. They turned it down. Other people took credit for his work, which was copyrighted as far back as 1926, prior to anybody discovering the transuranium elements. He also predicted heavy water, which he was not given credit for. But all this stuff just leads you further into the, the understanding that, again, he remonstrated against science. His definition of gravity was such that, you know, you had to have sort of a divine uh, awareness to, to gather that everything is two-way instead of one way. And that that really goes a long way in explaining actual universal processes. I'd, I'd like to um, maybe just think about what you just said in terms of the model of a magnet. Um, you know, I practice uh, still to this day a discipline called Bagua. It's an internal martial art. And a lot of the movements are, you know, simultaneously, you'll have one extremity circulating in a centripetal and then the other one on the other end is going in the opposite direction. And um, it seems like those folks way back when understood some of these principles, just how they incorporated them into their practice and, you know, of martial arts and uh, relative to a bar magnet, which of course, uh, I think uh, you ex explain better how electric it's instead of a positive and a negative, it's just maybe the direction of energy flow. That seems to be, uh, what you're experiencing when you're doing Bagua, you're you're creating that whole energy flow in a way where when it comes to your actually movements, you have a great efficiency and economy of motion, and it just seems to work. So uh, are, are we doing in that practice exactly what a bar magnet's doing? In a sense, you are. I mean, dance is an incredible art form that humans have partaken in for millennia after millennia and you know the art of some martial arts for instance focus a lot around almost a dancing like maneuver tai chi for instance and you're you're really i think all things simulate the breath you know the the breathing in and breathing out and the very movement of the body when you walk we start at a position of let's say standing at attention. And when, in order to move, you have to divide your own stillness. You have to divide and, and create an unbalance in order to keep walking step by step forward, left foot forward, um, left arm back, right arm forward, right foot back. And then it, it changes accordingly as you step. And so each is an opposite of the other until you stand yet again at attention and stillness and take the divid divided motion of the body and unify it back into a still state. So really it's, that's the same with magnetism. The North and South Pole are extensions of the fulcrum itself, which is still. And if you think about it, they say that opposites attract. Well, that's not true. Again, Walter Russell remonstrated against this in his book, A New Concept of the Universe, that 
Um, opposites get as far away from each other as they can. That's thus the ends of a bar magnet being north and south. But yet they're connected by a common center, which is the block wall or the domain wall, which is, guess what? Under magnet paper, it appears to be a white light. You know, and uh, that that would be like, I would imagine if you spin a bar magnet, you would also see a white circle at some point. But that's a whole nother topic. But <laughs> ultimately, I think a lot of the martial arts, I would say, it's, yeah, the breath is, again, what is the magnet to the breath, but an inhalation and exhalation. And uh, how the north and south, I don't know necessarily, I wouldn't say they're even opposite charges, but the Russell science matured with atomic suicide was his latest uh, confluence of the, of his work over 40 years. But they they basically say that the the two polarities are male and female. It would be better thought of that way. So north is male and south is female, for instance. But it, every electric motion requires both as a positive effort. So you breathe through two nostrils and exhale through one mouth. Two are always becoming one, which become two again. And so, I, you know, I would say that. It's Go almost ahead. more like I think of, you know, with electric electrical currents, the diode, but it's almost like a triode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everything. That's why I like the term triality. You know, everything being du duality is great, but all duality has a common center, which that duality unfolds from the very color spectrum. It's all on a pinwheel. Spin it. It turns white. Why? Why is the duality of North and South Pole centered by an undivided block wall of white light? Because ultimately everything extends. How can you have two if you don't have one? If two was causal, then two would come before one, right? And why do we count seconds instead of firsts? You know, I don't want second place. I've always wanted to come in first. So I live in the now, you could say. <laughs> But ultimately, there's just different ways of looking at it, you know, and, and what giants like Russell do is they bring the unknown into our sensory range. You know, it's like sound. If sound was causal, why don't we hear sound first before we see light? That's because light's causal. Sound comes after the light reaches your eyes. Right. You can see the, the flash of a gunfire, but it takes a second or two to hear the sound. So which is causal? Did the light create the sound or did the sound create the light? Well, which got to you first? That's how you know what's causal. Yeah, the, the fundamental aspect of light is consciousness. It is the creator. It's the mind. Exactly. The causation. You know, there's one thing I want to touch on real quick, kind of going back to the physics a little bit of Walter mm -hmm. Russell, because he was the originator of the the electric universe concept, but it's been kind of hijacked, not hijacked, but it's been replaced a bit in modern times by the plasma theorists, right. you know, that call that their ideas, electric universe. And oftentimes we're asked to have certain guests on and, you know, definitely open to entertain the Walt Thornhills and stuff. I believe I said his name mm -hmm. correctly, who have postulated this theory, but the, the, the issue that I, currently have with the plasma theory is it still relates to the traditional atomistic concepts of particles. Um, could you maybe speak a little bit to that and what differentiates Russellian electric universe 
um, cosmology versus the more, you know, modern electric universe cosmology we're seeing with like, for instance, the Thunderbolts project? Sure. It's, it's a matter of academics, academia versus uh, divine wisdom gained directly through the mind. Academia teaches a set, a model. It's simply a model. Uh, Walter derided the concept of atomics uh, as far as academia taught. He said of the little studded ball bearings made of wood that they made him chuckle, that there's no such atom in existence that looks like a wood studded little bunch of little balls connected by pieces of wood, that atoms don't move, that electrons don't move all around the atom like they say. And he's right because... And if you can pull up uh, tungsten atom photos, Mike, or Erwin Mueller, who was a microscopy uh, photographer of the 50s who wrote an entire book and showed many photos of the atom, that shows a hollow center. And again, any anything prior to carbon or after carbon will have a hollow center because it's either closing the center as it approaches carbon or opening its center as it leaves carbon and approaches plutonium to where that center becomes more and more open. So towards zero, toward the inert gases, the center is much larger. And that's why when you look out at places, uh, planets like Saturn and Jupiter, you'll see rings and many moons. That's because they're older planets. And all planets are born from their primaries, which are the suns. And all primaries are born from the nebula. So it's all a seamless cosmology, but ultimately I think the 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 structure of the atom if you if you can find it it's usually in a greenish or or um, other color photo maybe white but the the uh tungsten atom real real photos tungsten atoms something yeah, like looking, that. I'm looking I'm just seeing models right now so let me go to Gotcha. Okay. Let me go to Google. I've used Brave Search now, but it's not doing great. So let me go to Google and let me see. You got it. I think the best way to understand the the atom in in a Russell perspective is to think of not not particles but waves. You know, the whole concept of Russell is that we live in a mind wave universe. Mind is causal, matter is effectual, and matter is always two. Mind is always one. That's why there's no need for extra dimensions or any kind of dimensionality when it comes to mind. Mind is non-dimensional, it's dimensionless. And there's a reason for that because in order to get your the ideas in your mind to exist, you have to build a body for it. And that, there you go. What, what do you see there, folks? That's an actual photo of a tungsten atom. And why is it hollow in the middle? You're looking at basically a cross-section, horizontal. Now imagine that spherical because the actual atom itself is spherical. And so what, oh, there you go. That's the one. Now you look at some of Russell's drawings and guess what you're gonna see? The same exact replication. Now, how would he know that and draw these things far before these were photographed? Again, the divine mind reveals all to man and what can be known, knowledge is non-dimensional. I can't hand you knowledge in the form of a thing that's got dimensionality. So there it in again is proof that non-dimensionality is mind itself. 
And it's meant to be that way, because if God were to make our imaginations just suddenly appear, people imagine all kinds of things like the earth blowing up, you know, that would not be good. And <laughs> so there's a reason there's a, a dividing line between matter and mind. And so when it takes work to build the bodies for the mind, and that's why it's easier for a lot of people to just think that, well, if I escape the work, then I can have my creativity in some other dimension that's going to save me from myself and, and help me escape the problems of the world. But again, in a mind wave universe, all comes down to mind. And to answer your question on the atomic structure, to best think of it in terms of understanding Russell science, the wave is the way to do it. Protons could be better thought of as protonic waves moving inward toward a center which is the twin opposing bordis or the two nostrils or the two poles moving toward the center. They collide at the center and what doesn't integrate into form is, is uh, exhaled at the equator. So again, two become one and it's exhaled back into space. It's, it's literally a breath cycle. Every atom and every planet is breathing and it all does this. And so wow. the, the reversal point of those protonic waves of inward moving waves is the neutro neutronic state or the neutral or the fulcrum. And then it just like the breath, it has to reverse. And at the reversal point, 90 degrees to the charge is the discharge. So just like our 90 degree point is right here. When we move our arms, we're moving at 90 degrees to the fulcrum, right? So we charge at night while we sleep, we discharge during the day. All bodies in existence do this. I don't know anybody who's managed to stay up yet their whole entire life and be awake. Everybody has to lay down at 90 degrees from a standing position in order to get the best rest that they can. And then they rise up at 90 degrees the next morning and begin to discharge what they have charged throughout the night. And that is the way that life is. To make it anything else is is magical thinking. So if um, suns birth planets, planets birth moons, and they're throwing off these informational fields, waveforms from the equator, can you speak a little bit on that? Yeah, I'll just... How do you know you're getting old? You start to get rings in places you never had them before. <laughs> you know, rings in the forehead, saggy, drooping skin under what used to be muscle in your 20s is now, you know, you're returning toward, you know, the fulcrum. We all have to return. That's hard. That's a hard thing because, you know, nobody wants to lose a loved one, but it's, you know, the leading cause of death for humans is birth. And it's also the same for planets. Once you're born, you're already on the path. And But half your life is going to be charging, half is discharging. And ultimately, um, what Russell said was so beautiful in the way he described the life of a planet to be born from the mother, father, son, which all planets, all spheres, all bodies are doubly charged. It's only a matter of preponderance. We're, as males, we're one chromosome different from a female. Just one tiny little thing that you can't even see gave us that extra appendage, right? So ultimately, when you realize that 
the, the, our very nature is very much like it is nature. We are nature. And so the life cycle of a planet would be no different than that of the sun. It's capable of having its own children. And those children move away, right? They move away from home. They don't stay at, at home forever or the planets would not move out. They just hover right around the edge of the sun. But ultimately, they, they move away. And when they reach maturity, they have children of their own. And once those children move away, they become comets, as Russell explained. And that comet eventually plunges back into the sun to impregnate the sun again and complete and repeat the cycle. It's a beautiful story, actually. And again, it's just a model, you know, but that's all we really have to deal with. We have to create models in order to understand our reality better. And, you know, once the electrons begin to leave, you know, that's a return to zero. Ultimately, life is about charge and discharge. And it's like that for all things in the universe. Yeah, I would say models are extremely important for us to know how things work, where mathematics just shows, um, or excuse me, not just not necessarily just how, but why things work. Excuse me, the models show why things work, where the math can kind of show how things work, right? But we don't understand why fundamentally this mathematical equation actually works correct matt and that's what the mathematicians are so good at and that's what modern scientism is like modern scientists are just mathematicians mathematicians it's great their models can show how things work but we don't know why that works does that make sense does that sound correct well i call it mathematics um not to be confused with myths that mathematics sort of co-opted Greek mythology in order to teach math. That's not the mathematics I'm referring to, but mathematics meaning equations that show things such as uh, M theory or 10 dimensional string theory, 11 dimensional super string theory. These things are just machinations of the mind. They're all in the imagination. Um, I could create a myth mathematical theory that says that the three of us are going to answer a fire call in exactly 31 minutes from now. But that doesn't make it true, even though the math works out and checks out. You know, you can create equations for any occurrences, any, any kind of realities you want. Um, ultimately, those suggestions of parallel universes, alternate realities, and multiverses are all done right here in this one. You know, again, we keep coming back to this reality. And there's basically, that's the whole argument for dispelling dimensional madness is, hey, folks, you're either here or you're not here. And if you're not here, where are you? But everybody that tries to tell you where they are tells you from the same place that you're in, which nullifies the whole notion to begin with. Why not just be here and now and learn to deal with this reality as it is, because we need everyone in this fight. If we're going to have a, an awakened world of, of awakened individuals who understand freedom, the concepts of, of uh, the dire straits that we're in, and, 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 the, and the ability to create the future that is the basically the seed of the Great Awakening, we're going to need everybody in this game taking part in it because it's it's our future it's the futures of our children our livelihoods and if people are off gallivanting in a fifth dimension not giving a damn what happens to this planet 
or in the Gnostic mind realms of escapism, it just lessens our ability to make it happen faster. So I, I'm just, as a plea to everybody, we need all of you in this. We need everybody to get their head in this game. Learn to master your reality, because that's really what it's all about. Master what you're in. You know, why would you try to master something that there's no proof of, no existence in, um, that you even to describe it, you have to do so from here. Why not just embrace what you're in and, and look at it practically? That's that's what I love about the Russells the most. It's practical spirituality. And you have many impractical uh, practices out there that do nothing but serve to take you psychologically away from the reality that you're actually in. And we we could use all the help we can get if we're going to win this battle against the uh, forces of attrition that are uh, currently kind of in control of things, you know, and it's one by one heart and one mind coming to the truth at a time. So during the 70s and 80s, I had to endure um, countless people who were channeling somebody <laughs> beyond Ananda or whatever. And uh, I was never a big fan of that, uh, nor would I trust a channeling, you know, uh, at any level. But um, now Walter, on the other hand, went into stillness and uh I don't want to say brought back was, but was able to perceive things in a whole different way. So how would you differentiate those folks that claim to be bringing in information from other realms through channeling versus what Walter was doing? Well, the whole channeling phenomena is something again, Walter, you, some people even say that he channeled, what what are you channeling is the question. You know, there, there was a, because of Victorian spiritualism in the 1880s, which I touched on in my documentary, and basically there was a lot of these so-called ascended masters that existed in a fourth dimension, because that was a very popular thing in Victorian England. Uh, Edwin Abbott Abbott's book, Flatland, proposed that consciousness existed in a first, second, third, fourth, and higher dimensions. Um, I think he did so. He wrote that book, being an Anglican priest, which is basically a version of Catholicism without the hierarchy. It's the same exact teachings, though. Um, and he probably did so because he was seeing a lot of the more intellectual people in the church leaving it in droves for the more stimulating circles of you know, the Gnostic and the scientism and the um, the seances, which were very popular, and just the gatherings that would gather around and channel ascended masters. So to Russell, he, he found this whole idea of ascended masters to be a complete and utter fallacy. And he he, <laughs> he quipped in one of his uh, talks to the students at Swan and Owen in a 1952 lecture, he said, why aren't they getting hit by airplanes if they float around on clouds? You know, it just made no sense to him. He's like, why? What? And he basically said of the occult world that he would like to drown that occult world, that it has no existence. It's all fictional, fictionary, imaginal, and absolutely, utterly has no existence, but in the imagination itself. And he felt that what that did to people to take them away from being able to be 
masterful creators here in this reality, which is the only reality we have. So what you're actually, basically, he would also say, um, you're not channeling other things from the other side ever. What you're actually putting forth is God's version of speaking to you itself, that man can speak directly with God. Why would he need an ascended master to go through any more than you'd need a physical priest or a guru? And I think that's what keeps the priesthood in power is the belief that we need a middleman. You know, if the human race knew it could communicate and commune directly with the divine within them, within each and every human being has a direct connection. Didn't the, the Christ say that, that the kingdom of heaven is within man, that I and my father are one? How should you be one? Well, would it require an ascended master or a guru or uh, a cult leader that says we can get onto a spaceship at the end of a comet and go to the next dimension, the ninth dimension, right? So ultimately, he remonstrated against the idea of ascended masters. The whole occult world, he, he said, had no existence. It's, it's a fiction within man, the rituals, the practices, and that man can commune directly with the creator. And that doesn't require channeling. That just requires listening, learning to listen to the still small voice within you, which is your own conscience. And you remember the Jiminy Cricket cartoon, always let your conscience be your guide, right? That's where are the timeless cartoons when you need them, you know? So ultimately that, that consciousness is available to all of us and, and we call it our conscience or our still small voice. It's that which knows right from wrong and it's inside each and every one of us. The obstacle is always just us learning to listen to it and to trust in that inner guidance that we all have as a system. That's nature's yeah, operating I, system. I, I'll, I'll say one thing about the occult. It seems like the great secret that it always comes down to, like talking about the Masons or, you know, these ancient um, Greek mystery schools was the sun, right? That was the the grand secret that it, they were understanding that it's the great central sun that that consciousness and all comes out of. And maybe a lot of that occulted practice was the complete misunderstanding of what the sun actually is. And it was the mystery of the sun and trying to come to grips of what the sun actually is. Um, and so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more about the occulted stuff as I'm literally reading um, over here, the secret teachings of all ages again, because, it, um, you know, it, he unfolds so much Manly P. Hall uh, of just great history about or that is like the central theme of everything. Right. Is the sun. Um that being said, we talked briefly about, um, uh, I've been reading H.W. Percival's book, uh, The Thinking and Destiny. Uh, we talked about it a bit on the Interverse podcast that we were on with Chance Garden, who's in the chat, by the way. Shout out to Chance. Uh, Hi, great, Chance. To, great to see <laughs> in the in the chat there, buddy. Um, and that was one thing. It's interesting. So Percival, who you, who you mentioned on that um on that podcast took like 40 years to get to where Walter Russell got in, you know, uh, a couple minutes, which I thought was quite profound, but he, to his credit, he was, uh, I think, as you were saying, one of the leaders of the, of the theosophic movement for a while, he left that. And he specifically says in this book that all that Victorian age um, sort of um, spiritualism was in fact uh, those spirits and those, um, specters that they were playing with were just 
manifestations of their own neurosis, their own consciousness, their own fears, etc. They weren't actually separate entities. They were creating those themselves in the room. And that's something that he definitely warns against uh, in that book. So that is really an interesting idea, almost like creating a collective egregore in the room themselves. That's that's extremely important there to emphasize on. The mind is an extremely powerful thing. And I think all of us can safely say we've created in our own minds things that don't exist out of perhaps situations, out of traumas. And ultimately, all of these external beings that have no physicality would be better understood if you looked at it from a Freudian or a Jungian perspective as an archetypal manifestation. And I think what what these things are trying to do, and they can seem very real, in fact, we give them life by our very belief in them. Why do so many near-death experiencers who are Christian meet Jesus in their near-death experience versus Buddhists who have near-death experiences meeting the Buddha? It's interesting that what we believe is what we see, what we get. So in a sense, what we think of our own reality is what we tend to get from it from a mental standpoint. But again, fortunately, there's a dividing line between mentalisms and physicalisms. Because just because you think something doesn't mean it's going to manifest. You actually have to build the body for that thing to exist. And so far, what in my search, I've never found a demon, even though I still have a $150,000 reward for anyone that can bring me one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just no one's taken the bait for 12 years now I've, I've offered this, but ultimately um, the proof of existence is in the pudding. It's in the body and anything man-made is proof of the intentionality of man. It comes from the mind of man and anything that is not man-made, which we call nature is the realm of the divine. And that is the cosmic mind proof of the cosmic mind. And so as above, so below, again, we have the ability to create, we have the ability to, like God, manifest our thoughts. And nature is the great teacher that makes that possible. And ultimately, we also have the, the power to shoot ourselves in our own foot and cause ourselves to fall off track, to misuse our own mind power, which is what is being done on this planet. It's how, it's how they get us under their thumb is because we actually do what they say. We listen to these people. And why do we listen? Because we don't listen to the still small voice within ourselves. That's our saviorship. And when each person does this, when they hear the voice of their own conscience over the voice of the crowd and, and no longer have the desire to be part of something bigger in terms of a crowd for identification purposes, but are quite comfortable in their own identity with their own divinity centering them and informing them moment to moment, we're always going to be at, at logger ends with the ability to be free. So the enlightened individual is enlightened because he lessens the load of the physical burden of trying to conform to the outside world. He learns to listen to the inner divinity within him, which allows him to unfold that inner divinity through bodies that he himself or herself creates, which is what humanity, humanity calls art. I mean, art is the greatest gift that we can possibly have. And the very word art is in the word create. 
So they're really inseparable. And what is in create? Creation, creating, and creator, right? Are we not creators, each and every one of us? And so when we look at reality, we can't really blame the elite for how it is. All they're doing is taking our our creative ability and basically hijacking it. And so we work, we end up working, creating their imagination of the world. And we don't have to do that. We can choose to create our own imagination. It's time for the John Galtz, like Ayn Rand, you know, to rise up and begin creating these parallel systems. As Buckminster Fuller said, we get enough people creating a parallel system. We'll make this old one obsolete. And those who were once in the dark will see this light right next to them and Perhaps that might be enough to invite them over to take part in the creative faculties that we're we're all endowed with these creative gifts and and you know we can create a new world together and that's what my work focuses on. Um, there's so much more I'd love to share in regards to that particular statement, but um, all all things in due time. I would like to know more about what's going on uh, behind the scenes, uh, you know, within your circles there, but I won't put you on the spot. Um, you know, it seems like, um, well, you know, I have a memory going back to early catechism class when I was pretty young and they talked about the final Armageddon being fought on the mental plane. And that pretty much makes a lot of sense to me right now, because that's obviously, um, what they're doing is really trying to capture our minds and therefore our creative potentials to their aims. And, uh, you know, perhaps um, as we come full circle, which is where I think humanity is right now, where we've seen through uh, at one time um, in different civilizations in the past and with different individuals, just, uh, you know, very enlightened understanding of, you know, what makes us tick and what the purpose of our existence is. And then, of course, going through the uh, the materialistic, uh, you know, Renaissance, we'll say, uh, bring us all the way through the spiritualistic, which perhaps had a, a place, um, you know, in our development, just to get us looking a little bit of a larger um panorama rather than just uh glued in on the materialistic and now here we are um you know i think we're in a really good place because everything is pretty much exposed on its face as far as what's really happening who's telling the truth who's not and what the real agenda is so um this brings me back to walter russell where he's talking about an atomic suicide where uh, you know, just uh, how it's really not a good idea bringing this radioactive substance up to the surface of the earth. And now, meanwhile, since he left us, uh, how many cubic tons have we brought to the earth's surface? So um, with that understanding, where are we now, do you think, uh, as far as uh, do we have a bright future still? Do we have a way to transmute a lot of, uh, you know, things that we were not mature enough to play with in the first place, or are we going to have to go through uh, some really hard times here? And I'm not expecting you to have a crystal ball or anything, but maybe from your perspective and what Walter might say uh, as well. Well, they certainly warned against a coming downfall of civilization. 
Uh, they continued a warning that was given by Herbert Spencer and his reason for forming the Twilight Club back in the 1870s, whose luminaries included Edwin Markham, who said, in vain we build the city if we do not first build the man. Uh, it included the uh, Mark Twain and Walt Whitman, among others, highly illumined individuals who you know, were the great poets and really the, the, the modern day hermeticists, if you will. And they saw the need for character development. Uh, the Russells believed that if man's character could develop enough and enough focus was given to that character development, that you, you could stave off a, a collapse of civilization. Um, based on what we're seeing around us, I would say there is some good, <laughs> there's both really, there's always both, but the good side of where we're at is that we're not already, we don't already have troops in Ukraine that we know of. There's not an official declaration. There's not an official mobilization. Um, comparatively speaking to like 9-11, then when we went to Afghanistan and eventually into Iraq, it was televised, the invasion. Uh, this is an extremely unpopular war, this whole Ukraine um, debacle, you could say. I think less than 14%, somewhere around there, actually approves of the whole thing. And these are their polls, not even alternative media, but these are their polls. So it's extremely unpopular. That's a huge positive sign because after 9-11, um, I pr think pretty much everybody wanted to go to war for the most part, minus maybe one in 100,000 people who saw through, you know, that day. I myself said stupid things about, you know, these people, how dare they, you know, I was under the spell. So it would only be three months before I realized what a fool I was and how I'd been taken and manipulated by this media, which made me forever hate it. <laughs> but, you know, and, and want to not only free myself, but help free others from the mind control. But ultimately, if you look back to 9-11 and the influence psychologically that it had, um, at least for the war side of this, it's not as pervasively in control as it was then. However, what is alarming to me is that why didn't we, why didn't so many of those who were aware of 9-11 eventually fall for the COVID thing, you know, and, and they just uh, ultimately bought the whole narrative and even did the things they were recommended to do. And again, that's what I, I think if we're going to free ourselves, we have to have the character to question those in authority. We have to have the bravery to say no. And when enough of us say no, there's nothing they can do. And if people won't carry out their agendas, what agendas get fulfilled? What can be built if their minds, if they if they won't do the work with their own bodies to build their own things and nobody will build them for them, these people are out of business. It's over. And we can get on with, with building the new earth. But we're already doing that too. We're building the new earth because in my mind... And the Russells would say, too, that that man has to put his mind to work. He has to build that which he desires. And like Ayn Rand, if we're going to build the parallel civilization, as Buckminster Fuller said, don't go to war with the one that exists. 
build the new one and make the old one obsolete. We have to get busy and that's what I'm doing. And that's what you're doing, Dr. Bear and Mike and so many others. We're trying to inspire people to become self-sufficient, to take the creation of reality into their own hands, hold it in your bosom, embrace it, use and utilize your own desires and mind and build the bodies for those things. And then we can stave off this destruction. And as for digging up atomic elements, it's like digging up dead bodies. Would you dig up a dead body and put it on your kitchen table? Then why would you want to dig up plutonium and uranium, which causes the formation of humus that, that you know, is what, you know, promotes the growth of seeds in order to eat the plants that come from it? These substances of atomics of radioactivity serve a purpose, but deep underground not being brought to the surface and then uh, purified and then set on fire in atomic reactions. It's madness. And that's why they wrote the book Atomic Suicide with the words in dripping blood with a question mark. And that question mark really means it's up to us whether we want to keep doing this. So maybe yeah, that's, that's, why, the, that's uh, the warning. I was just thinking about the dead body thing. That's maybe why Marina Abramovich and all her crew do that. <laughs> they do. Yeah, like the, I mean, some, the some people worship death on this planet and that's their free will to do so, but it doesn't mean we have to take part in it. You know, we can worship life and create our own reality that is suitable to those who are in that same vein. You know, yeah, they do like, that like, they do that as a representation, I think, of their modality of the single just being on the death waveform, right, of control. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what as some have called like the the Luciferian pact or the fall, right? It's like trying to hijack reality to control it through that singular um, uh, control versus understanding the the duality of the unfolding and refolding. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, you think of duplete, depleted uranium that the U.S. military uses uh, to supposedly to do their bunker busting, but they're literally putting that in the weaponry uh, that they've used in Iraq. And of course, I've seen uh, many, many different documentaries showcasing the dire effects to those being born in those areas with all the birth defects and everything. And I've heard... I've heard different theories on that. Like there's a lot of people in our community that doubt the whole radioactive uh, narrative to begin with. Yeah. Um, and you have like the gentleman back in the, was that in the seventies and eighties? Galen Windsor. Yeah. Galen Windsor, who was supposedly yeah. drinking or eating it. And I often wonder if he was just a sort of um, put up there by the, um, the nuclear, uh, uh, you know, industry kind of, you know, to promote it. Um but uh, yeah, uh, it's very interesting when you understand the science of Walter Russell, it's very apparent the unwinding that comes with those materials that it literally unwinds the, I guess you could say the, the, the waveforms uh, of biology. Sure. Well, yeah, the, 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 the proof of this, okay, one thing, there's a movie called Fat Man and Little Boy, I believe is the name with Paul Newman. But the, it, it talks about the very unknown and un, it's not something that the media put out. Okay. It's something they avoided telling the story of, but the movie was very controversial. Um, and basically it talked about the experiments at Los Alamos in New Mexico, 
when there was a flash and, and unintended flash between a core sphere of uranium and another, um, I forget the name that they call this a, uh, a um, exciter or something. It was a different material and a guy dropped it and it caused a flash and the two guys in the room, he was able to get the, the thing apart. So it quit the flash, but already from that very moment that they got exposed to that flash, their organs began to dissolve. And nine days later, they would both be dead from absolutely severe burns that appeared all over their bodies, as well as the melting of their internal organs. And basically what, what that is, is it's the death half of the wave in the elements of uranium plutonium. Now, uranium ore is, is virtually harmless to a degree. I still wouldn't carry it in my pocket, but some people think that these things have healthy benefits. But the proof of this is the spectrum of light from the sun, okay? You could think of the elements as a spectrum of matter. Now, a spectrum of light, as above, so below, the spectrum of light is the spectrum of elements. There are octaves of light and there are octaves of elements. When you get into the ninth octave of light and you get into the ninth octave of elements, they share the same things. They're extremely high frequencies and they cause degradation of living things. They age cells. They can absolutely break down matter. Have you ever left a piece of, of, let's say, lead in the sun, and two weeks later, it's changed color? The sun is a powerful thing. Light is a very powerful thing. If you lay on the beach and you, you're, you don't have the pigmentation suited, no matter what color you are even, and you get too much sun, what do they call that? A sunburn, okay? If you want to doubt radiation, just go lay in the sun for eight hours with, you know, in your in your bikini or your your trunks, and you tell me how you feel afterwards. I know I've laid in the sun too long, and it's not fun, man. For three or four days, you're you're literally feeling pain that you wish you'd have done something to protect yourself against. That's how I would say, you know, you should look at the uranium and transuranium elements. They're the same kind of thing. And if you happen to be in, in the vicinity of those kinds of things, when there's a flash that occurs and that discharge happens, it's, it's hopeless. I mean, the body wasn't designed to handle that kind of thing. And so that's why the Russells, again, they remonstrated against science for digging these things up, purifying them, and then setting them on fire. And, and what kind of science can call itself advanced when these things melt down outside of their containment and you can't put it out? What fool starts a fire that he can't put out? As be, being firemen, all of us, volunteers or whatnot, we, we would say that's imbecilic, right? Why would anybody start a fire they can't put out? And so I think that's pretty much sums up the whole of the, uh, the question of radioactivity. When you think of it in terms of light, you know, that's why they call it ultraviolet. Why is violet the death half of the wave? Ultraviolet is super death. So, you know, when you get burned by ultraviolet light, it's not a fun thing. And ultimately, that film, uh, Batman Little Boy, portrays the little told story of, of these two scientists whose fate resulted in the melting of their internal organs and death some just very few days later after exposure. It is interesting they're coming out with the Oppenheimer movie this Sunday, uh, this summer, 
um, Christopher Nolan's epic about, or Oppenheimer, excuse me, um, you know, about the whole Manhattan Project and his story and how, I guess he was demonized later on after they dropped the bombs. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it kind of playing into what's going on with, with, you know, Russia right now and the fears of the new nuclear holocaust. Um, but, uh, you know, they say they split the atom. We would say that probably wasn't what they were doing. They were basically initiating just the waveform come out of that, out of that uh, ninth octave, if you will. Yeah, they, they take a, a very unwound element and they pack TNT around it. And then that compresses that element. It's like if you were to take Uranus, right? Which is uranium, Pluto, plutonium. These are named after these very things and they're way out from their primary. They're already way out past the point of giving birth anymore. They're, they're old, old uh, planets, very old. If you are to, as Russell said, wrap a harness around Uranus and pull it into where the earth is and then suddenly release it, it would immediately rush back out to get to its place, like holding a ball under the water. You know, you let a beach ball go, you're standing on it with your feet in the swimming pool and you let that thing go, where's it going to go? It's going to seek a position of rest of like potential. That's exactly why smoke rises. You know, it's like potential is in space in the occluded gases, which are the byproducts of the burn. So ultimately, when you pack some TNT around something and, and you create an implosion, it's what you're doing is collapsing its wave field and it's going to seek its like potential. And that's that's what the explosion is. And they've done it. They've done it. And it's to me, it's like, yeah, a lot of people. This is the problem with uh, some parts of this truth movement is they'll, they'll say everything's fake. Everything, the whole, the, the nuke videos, the atomic explosions are all fake. It's all fake. Everything's fake. The earth pictures are fake. Galaxies are fake. Even though I looked through a telescope and saw one with my own eye, it's not there. It's NASA image. Well, how did the NASA image get in my telescope, guys? Um, anyways, this is part of the problem with, uh, you know, everything's a Truman show, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because I think that, and David Whitehead said this so well, was that the younger generations have become so divorced from nature that nothing is natural anymore. Everything has to be explained through some kind of technologic or basically explained because of a divorce of nature, it all must be fake, including nature itself. And this is where this whole idea of determinism comes in. It's really, it's a death philosophy because ultimately how can one generate life in a world if it's all fake how can life be anything to 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 what is all fake if fake is in control and fake has all the power and fake is everything there is what is real anymore and no wonder escapism is the biggest industry on the planet you know and that's i address that in the documentary as well is that there's an entire entire industries have been built around escaping where we're at instead of the hermetic point of view, opposite of Gnosticism, which is to embrace creation, 
to learn to live in a creating universe by yourself becoming a creator of it. Why well, I think, I think that's um, unfortunate. Yeah, and technological assisted escapism, I think, is what has captured a lot of our youth. And uh, you know, you said it best. We've been cut off from nature, and also because people are more. Um, let's just say engaged in their devices and technologies, which further separates them from nature. It also puts us in this artificial construct where we're no longer engaged in fixing things, creating things, or making things grow, which would on its face show us exactly all the so-called secrets of the universe. You know, there's, um, uh, I don't know what you think about this, but I've been engaged for many years in uh, radiesthesia disciplines. Uh, the most, uh, uh, let's just say, contemporized version of that is biogeometry. And the reason why I not only find it a useful tool, but gravitated toward it is because we're literally talking about waveforms and measuring waveforms. And we're doing it in a way where not only are we bypassing the crude electricity that would cover up uh, or impede our ability to perceive a lot of these waveforms, but um, when we engage in that, we're also tuning ourselves in in a little bit more of a refined perceptive bandwidth. And uh, in the field of radiesthesia, we differentiate a lot between orientation of waveforms, uh, waveforms that seem to feature, uh, um, favor nature's creative processes and also nature's more destructive processes, of course, not for the sake of destruction, but it's that other half, that radiative cycle. Uh, there's a famous uh, true story about a French scientist who is engaged in radiation and through uh, the practice of creating geometrical, uh, you know, de geometries, devices, it would then pull in a certain resonance to duplicate these different types of waveforms, he literally killed himself. He, you know, created one of these in his home lab, and they they found him literally petrified. You know, three days later. So these waveforms are no joke. And you know, as far as radiation and and things, no matter who you believe, uh, those forces do have their place. And in uh, you know, in the creative cycles, and also in Chinese medicine, the first thing you learn about is uh, the shen and the co-cycle you know one is more nature uh, nurturing like the maternal the yin and then the other is more the destructive you know but uh, side by side they seek a balance which brings us back full circle to how we got into this day uh this whole discussion today and that is uh all of uh creative matter as we think of it is constantly seeking balance whether it's a pluck kadar uh, string or uh or you know sodium and chloride joining together as two different waveforms to seek a balance so maybe we could um you know finish up today just about talking about how in our life experience how all around us in and uh, nature we see everything seeking rest and of course, when we find it, that's when we get that that feeling of stillness and also that empowerment that comes from it that Walter talked about. That's beautifully said, Dr. Bear. Um, 
you know, the, the wave mechanics of creation inside the wave lies the secret of creation, as Walter would say. And basically, the universe is a mind wave universe. I'm convinced of it. I don't expect people to believe me. You know, you can, in fact, the, the university's offered me to, to gift your listeners with a 20% discount, alpha 20, all capital letters, enter that at philosophy.org forward slash store on checkout. And you can own these books at 20% off. Um, it supports the university. I appreciate the invite to, to discuss this with you guys today. But yeah, the, the wave mechanics of creation are not discussed in the general circles of materialist science. In fact, they're completely overlooked and they're completely ignored because a two-way motion universe makes too much sense to most people because they can identify that, hey, my body is two-way. I put food in and stuff comes out. I drink water, something comes out. You know, I, I can see with my eyes and my hands can move that which is external from me. Everything we do is two-way. We breathe in, we breathe out. You know, we, we are awake and we sleep and everything must sleep. All of nature sleeps once a day. You know, the earth sleeps in its cycles. And so in that knowledge of the wave, understanding that the wave is one half life and one half death, but also understanding that the difference between the materialist scientific paradigm is that all they see, all you can see with your senses is the death half of the wave. So it's natural that as an unevolved species that we look out at the universe and all we see is what stimulates our senses which is why Walter brought the other half to us as a human race and said, both he and Leo together, that humanity must learn to see the life-giving half of the wave and to, to know it within the mind, you know, and that's the beauty of it, that you could not have a physical universe without a mental universe. It's one and the same. Each is giving to the other and the other gives back to the other and repetitious sequential interchanges that are infinite and, and go on forever. This is a seamless, timeless universe of mind experiencing itself through a divided state we call motion, matter and motion. But all that is borrowed from the stillness in terms of a body must be re-given back to that stillness. And that's where it becomes temporal. In other words, we live a lifetime. But ultimately, what is behind the life is eternal itself. And so getting to know that is imperative incumbent upon us if we really want to truly understand that the only source of power we really have is our own minds. And if we give that away to an external authority, we're giving away the very best part of ourselves. We're giving away our, our very own savior. That which could save us from our own destruction is the power of the mind. And so renewing the mind with new information, renewing the mind by working with nature, as you do, both of you guys, on a daily basis with the, the planting and the, and the horticulture and the growing of foods and medicines, you know, who is it said, let your medicine or let your food be your medicine, right? You know, this is so important in this day and age. And I think we're rediscovering a lot of these ancient techniques which have kept humanity alive for tens of thousands of years. 
And uh, as Leo Russell would say in her incredible book, God will work with you, but not for you. If it is to be the fate of man that his civilization should yet collapse again, the difference between this civilization collapsing and others prior to this is that there are many more people who are awakened with the light of knowledge, and we can carry that light through to the next civilization, thus shortening the coming dark age. If there is to be a dark age, then let us make it a short one by holding the light, by employing and accessing and, and expressing the light of our knowledge in this world to shorten that duration of darkness. There's many more of us than there ever were in, the, in between the fall of any other civilization. But if it must go, then let it, let's get through it. And you asked me earlier, how would I predict the future? I think we're going to have hard times ahead. I, I won't sugarcoat this. This is There is no moment where the whole human race is going to go, ah, we're all saved. This is going to be a process that could take hundreds of years. You know, and as, as Walter, when he was in an argument with God in one of his papers, it was an illumination about 10 years to the day from his May 1921 illumination. He sort of, 10 years later, he was a little perturbed. Why didn't science take my universal one and embrace it? I did everything you told me, God. Why didn't why, why is the science not more well-known? And God basically says, look, son, <laughs> he writes this response. I've given you but the first 50 years. You're the heralder of this message of a 3,000-year-long transformative process <laughs> of mankind. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I'm thinking, you know, I had my own little illumination in 2015. I was shown seven-year plan to get this, to get his artwork back out to get the science and philosophy out to the world. And I'm thinking we have to have, you know, flying cars and the whole nine yards within seven years. It's got to all be done in seven years. Well, in 2018, when I read this account, I, I felt a weight lifted off my shoulders. I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to get this done in seven years. It's 3,000 years long, and there's still 2,960 years to go. <laughs> so ultimately, but we can do what we can do. You know, humans are the most industrious creatures on the planet. We're divine beings uh, created by a divine intelligence. Uh, we co-create with that divine intelligence to the degree that we are aware that we are that divine intelligence. That's the, the measure of power in any man. This is awareness of that power. And uh, one thing we've got that the, that the copycats don't is the ability to create. And we should never lose sight of that. Embrace that which is within, learn to express it without, and do so most of all seeking balance in the process. When you live a balanced life, the effects of your balanced choices cannot be but balance itself. I don't think I could possibly add to that in any way. Uh, beautifully said. <laughs> <laughs> um i had some other questions ready to go but they all seem uh uh not to have much relevance after that so that's that's perfect um so how can our audience find you your work um any other projects you're involved with that you'd like to talk about that we haven't mentioned already I would say the best thing is to visit mattpresti.com. It's uh, on my Zoom little screen there. 
check it out. Uh, I put all my work up in posts. Uh, this interview will go up as a post as well, just to try to share this knowledge. I know people out there who have seen past interviews, you're probably not going to learn a whole lot of new stuff. But for those who haven't, I hope it inspires you. I hope it brings you to the work of Walter Russell and Leo Russell and and others of this vein who who look at the vitalism side of life, that which empowers man. Go out and find these giants. Uh, the purpose of standing on the shoulders of giants is not to worship the giant, but to become giants ourselves. And I think, you know, we have so many wonderful examples of incredible minds and, and mind is really the cause of all things. And that's why, you know, these giants should not be forgotten, but embraced, heralded and, uh, and, and personified in our own lives. You know, take the inspiration that they give and go out and change the world. But all changes of the world come first from the change in you. And uh, realizing the power of your mind is the best way to get there. MattPresti.com and all things else you can find at the bottom with all my social media links and everything else. Beautiful. Uh, one last comment is that mm -hmm. I don't think you can hear this uh, too much. I uh, have read Walter's books uh, many times and every time I go through them I learn something different something I didn't hear the first time it speaks to different levels of yourself so it's not a matter of oh I know all that stuff because it's really uh, a matter of uh, you know speaking to the depths of your soul and that's where Walter always spoke to me a true master you know and we're all students in this play but mm -hmm. we can all learn to master ourselves over time and that's my desire to see everybody do that be the best you can be folks yeah it shows the true power of the individual too one how one person can change the world and if there isn't if that isn't absolutely inspiring i don't know what is uh and whenever i we talk about walter russell i feel like i'm just remembering stuff it's like oh i knew this you know right <laughs> Amazing, Matt. So once again, you guys go to philosophy.org. How incredible is that's the domain for Walter Russell's work, by the right. way. Philosophy.org and use the code Alpha, that's capital A-L-F-A 20 to get 20% off, correct? Uh, the, the books and stuff on there. Go take advantage of that, guys. Get your library stack with Walter Russell books. It uh, it's phenomenal, entertaining, and life-expanding stuff. Uh, it is a lifetime of reading in that on that website. So, um, I personally recommend, and I don't. And Matt, you're going to be nice enough to send it to me because I've only listened as an audiobook. The Secret of Light is a great one to start with. The Divine Iliad, which I own, is a great way to kind of get into the poetic nature of the God connection, the Divine connection with Walter Russell, uh, and of course, Universal Mind is the classic uh right universal mm. mind um oh, so, the universal uh, one yeah. universal one excuse me is yeah. the classic of all classics everyone must own <laughs> <laughs> um but there's so many and, and actually bear the first book i read ever bear sent me was a pdf that i bought off your store was atomic suicide of course uh bears right. bring, bears bringing over something oh, here he's, he's, got he's, the, going, he's going to the bookshelf look out he's got it in the <laughs> sleeve too there you go there you um, go. He's got one of the original editions. Reprints. Yeah. And the home study, oh, and the course. Home study course too. All right. Good deal. That's phenomenal yeah, just, guys. The home study course. So folks can visualize 
Uh, yep. Secret of Light's one of my all-time favorites. In fact, I just finished rereading that again. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, I know some people just started rereading it themselves. Huh. Oh, great. Yep. <laughs> and there's the home study course. Um, all phenomenal. You know, and every book to me has been so powerful and uh, built on the last. And when I go back to another one, um, you know, it just fills in some things that I didn't get the first time around. And I have to say, though, uh, out of all, it's hard to pick a favorite, but uh, I love this one. Yep. That's the one uh, the Pope threatened. He'd issue a decree against Russell if he reprinted that book. <laughs> That's incredible. Yep. I mean, well, I'm glad I got a copy of it. In the, <laughs> I'm in glad this, Leo decided to reprint it in 1974. They were selling yeah. for $2,000 a copy back then. Wow. Yep. Because there were only a thousand put out in the world. But yeah, that's, well, that's a that's a stellar, stellar uh, piece of literature. Yeah, in this age of cynicism, too, where especially you see it in the in our community, you see this sort of um, casting out science. It's great to know that there is the true science still you know, coming out through Walter Russell and through, you know, of course, the great alchemists and stuff that we talk about all the time. And that grounds us back into the reality. Like you were saying, we're seeing so much of the youth in this sort of confused state lost in the digital realm of the simulacrum. And to get grounded mm -hmm. again by reading Walter Russell is such an important thing to do, guys. So uh, definitely Indeed. can't recommend this enough. Yeah. Uh, awesome stuff, Matt. As always, we we always appreciate Thanks, you coming on, man. It's uh, uh, it has been truly a pl a pleasure. One I'm gonna go rewatch uh, again. You guys uh, can check this out. We're on Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, uh, Unite Live, Sayer G's platform, all streaming on there. Uh, and then, of course, this goes out as an audio podcast. I'll make sure to get that over to you, Matt. You can share with your community. Uh, once again, mattpresti.com. Thanks, everybody. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go for a walk, go for a hike. I actually, speaking of giants, been running with the giants lately. I've been trail running through the Redwoods uh, a lot this week. And um, talk about hanging out with the giants, man. They speak to you. I actually, Matt, um, on my Instagram posted, this is really trippy as someone who's an audio into audio stuff like you i was doing uh just a recording of me in this this remote um grove along the smith river and there is a weird audio effect it was like a pulsing audio effect in the recording that i didn't hear uh you guys can go check it out on my instagram uh i just posted it uh on where, my account where is there. that in stout grove uh this was actually on the hayuchi trail um ah. And and I forgot the name of the family that uh, this groves for, but um, really trippy. It was like I was in an energetic vortex, and the recording captured it. Uh, very interesting. I'll, I'll post it on our Telegram too. Um, what a what a fantastic place to be though in the redwoods. So, if you guys want to come visit Matt, you should come visit sometime. We'd love to. I hope uh, to give you a tour of i'll give you a tour of our fire station in gasky here but uh we'll take you the redwoods the ocean you know we have the oregon coast here we've got the caves the famous oregon caves here uh and of course all the redwoods in the farm you can come stay on the farm we would love to have you man that'd be great plenty of room for you here well i have to bring my partner along Lori. oh yeah kind of hard to go you'll have your own house when you come here my other half you know <laughs> But yeah, you guys are definitely welcome to join me in the future on my 
podcast, The Exploration of Consciousness. I'll be in touch with you guys about that and love to continue this chat on, on my platform. Awesome. It would be really cool. So thanks again for the invite. Always cool to talk Thank to you guys. You. Thanks, Matt. Great. Hey, everyone. Thanks, thanks so Matt. much. Please Take give care. us a thumbs up, share, and go uh, definitely share this with your friends and family. It helps get this information out. We love you. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, 10 a.m. every Thursday. Love you guys. Bye-bye.